everybody. Welcome to No Small Thing, the podcast dedicated to helping you live a less certain and more curious life. I'm one of your hosts, Macy. And I'm Scott. Welcome to episode 103. Woo, everybody. You clicked on it. You saw it. We have an explicit in the title. It is Fuck It with Barry Taylor. Coming right out with it. The confidence. Well, remember, we were going to do the little symbols. Oh, I'm sorry. It is F it with Barry Taylor. Okay, well, I really am excited about this. I know you are, too. I'm pretty uh, pumped about this. This was a really fun conversation. We're here mostly just to get you pumped for this episode, which you should be if you like No Small Thing. If you don't like No Small Thing, you're not really going to be here for this because this is a real, real No Small Thing energy. We're out in the weeds of philosophy, theology, social media, art. big thoughts, art. Um, Scott knows Barry Taylor from... You met him through, I'm guessing, Peter Rollins? No, no. So this is a good thing. I mean, we want you to know a little bit about Barry, but obviously you can look him up. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew Barry first because uh, when I went down to a Fuller Seminary in California to get my Master's of Divinity, my wife was also getting the same degree. And um, she was still at the stage where she got to do some more electives, or she was doing electives. I had gotten my, all my electives taken care of, and so I was like doing all the boring ones that I had mm-hmm. saved till the end. Some I liked, some I didn't. Um, I had to take Greek. all my Hebrew classes down there. All my Hebrew classes. And then I had to do a full Hebrew exegesis of the book of Jeremiah. And it was Those really... slightly fun. Really? No, not fun. I know, fun. I know. <laughs> you probably would have had fun. Um, Marissa took a bunch of art and culture and theology classes, and Barry was sort of the main person. So she went to South by Southwest with Barry. That's so cool. Um, for a class and I'm at home with my kids, which I love, but I'm also jealous. And she would text me pictures of like seeing St. Vincent and all these people. And then came back and a little bit after that, went to Cannes Film Festival with Barry and a bunch of other people, not just Barry, but, um, Marissa would just come back and be like, Oh, Barry's so wonderful. He's so smart. You'd really love him. I feel like you're kindred spirits, which is kind of a compliment to me, but I mean, we're talking about temperament in terms Mm -hmm. of temperament. Barry is here for the deep, long reflections. Mm-hmm. And so that is, I guess, kindred spirits. Totally. Um, so I, that's was, how I, I was immediately kindred spirits with Barry, I yeah, feel like. Yeah. Oh, totally. I just kept looking at you smiling like, here we go. <laughs> he gets you. Um, but yeah, so that was my introduction. But then years later, I got obsessed with Peter Rollins and came to find out that Peter and Barry were friends and collaborators. So yeah. that just made sense, and I thought that was pretty cool. And I think Marissa was like, oh, I could get you Peter Rollins' number from Barry. I was like, well, what Please? would I even do with that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to cold text Peter Rollins. Um, anyways, he's a professor. He was he, he worked with ACDC for a long time. He did? Yeah, he toured all over the country with them. Dang. That's like, um, he's written several books. Um he, he's a wild guy. Yeah. A wild guy, but a soft, gentle guy and wild at the same time. At the same time. So the reason we titled this episode, are, am say I saying it? it? I mean, I kind of came out really strong. And we're, not, we're not a non-swearing podcast, but we're also not aggressive swearing podcast. No, and Scott's not you really swear a swearer. You swear more than I do. Yeah. I have no judgment about swearing. It just doesn't feel like me. Like yeah. it, it, at this stage, it's, it's I needed to start sooner. Yeah. It just, it, it, it just doesn't feel authentic at this point. <laughs> Um, but if maybe maybe I'll be an old swearing eighty year old someday. We'll see. Yeah, I think you'll listening. You'll understand why we called it "fuck it." It kind of became like the theme of what Barry was 
saying. And it's like his life philosophy. I legit resonated so much with him with this. And I feel like this conversation is really fun. We start out from the gates talking about social media and it's really fascinating. And I have already changed my social media habits just because I was inspired by the conversation. And it's been really fun and liberating low key. Yeah. So I've noticed, um, are we going to do takeaways? That was my idea. Yeah. Takeaways from the conversation. Yeah. Let me just say, t- let's for, let's finish the intro. intro. I don't even read the bio. I'm just going to say Barry Taylor, everybody. He works currently with Maria French, who we also want to have on someday. Um, they are currently doing a lot of stuff about theology and philosophy and spirituality and mysticism and art. Uh, and they're they're working with this group called the Hand Co Group H and O H and Co Collaborators. We'll post about it on our Instagram. Mm-hmm. I just want if anybody's listening to this and wants to find Barry, if you look up Barry Taylor, there's so many Barry Taylors on the internet, oh, yeah, so you his, won't find. He's at UK Bloke. UK Bloke on Instagram. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to find him. Um, he also does this sort of meme philosophy account called Situation. And we Jesus. talk about it. Yeah. So. Go look up H and Co collaborators or H and Co group if you want to find him. But the quickest way to find him is probably go to UK Bloke. Yeah, um, he's out here. Very, very, very sweet, interesting, profound guy. Fun mm-hmm. to talk to. Mm-hmm. Okay, it was really fun. takeaways. Takeaways. Ex- what was the experience like for you? Um, the experience was really fun. I definitely walked away with like a lot on my mind and a lot to think about. I guess I already kind of said my biggest takeaway, but he he really did kind of in a really sweet way talk a lot about like authenticity and being yourself and doing things and kind of putting your whatever artistic thing you have to offer or creation the world and like honestly I feel like he had a really good lens of saying you know it's a lot of luck of how you make it in the world as a creative but at the same time like it was just so obvious. He's like, but don't sell out mm-hmm. to for your creations. It's like that, like he was kind of expressing for him, like coming to the conclusion that it's just not worth the cost for him. And I think for me as someone who, who does fundamentally kind of really resonate and agree with that, it was nice to hear. Mm-hmm. It resonated. It made me feel more solid in the choices that I have made and continue to make in terms of like making sure that I stay true to who I am and kind of like a little bit of a fuck it attitude to people who don't understand that and like not letting the haters get in the way of me like shining. So I was like, yep, thanks Barry. This is nice. This is encouraging. And I walked away feeling even more confident to just keep putting my own specific voice out there. It's Mm -hmm. like nobody else can create the things that I can create. And maybe I won't ever make it with my creations, but I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to stick to who I am and trust that that's, you know, part of the process. It's so good. It's so good. Um, Yeah. I feel like you really connected with the artist element to the conversation. Yeah. You know, I did. It was sweet. Did you have any? Um, I think also there was just this sense of, um, I I mean, if we, if we are going to say sort of taking the stance of like, not creating with haters or judges or critics in mind. Uh, I mean, you could even say it to your own self. Like, I'm going to get that judgmental spirit out of myself and just let myself create mm-hmm. and not overanalyze and overthink and judge. And, and just like, this is what I do. This is what I can make. You yeah. Know? So there it is. Um, yeah, you're already sort of treating your paintings like your Instagram. You're like, painting, painting, painting. 
here we go. Here we go. It's happening. It's a painting. Do it. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's what everybody needs to do in terms of a creative life. Like, I mean, that's the wisdom that most artists give is like, just get going, just start. Just do know? it and trust. And like, I think for me too, as an artist, like I've been in an interesting season this past month and it's ending. Today's the last day. I'm sad about it. <laughs> but um, <laughs> of every day, like getting out and painting. And I've been looking at a lot of different artists and I like on Instagram, I follow a ton of artists. So I'm always mm-hmm. inspired and I'll set out, I'll watch an artist. There's this one person who I love the way she color blends and I've been watching it and it's just kind of become like I realized with time, like I'm not going to create like she does. Like sometimes I'll sit with like, maybe I'll try and make something similar to her, like mm-hmm. see if I can do that. And maybe I could with a lot of practice, but as I'm working with the paints, I'm like, maybe, but I also feel like I have something to say with the paints right here that's different than when I, then copying this person, I always, that ends up taking over. And that's been like a good process for me of kind of like realizing and trusting my own skills and like ideas with the paint and letting it be just what I want in that moment. So good. So good. So good. There it is, everybody. (laughs) There it is, everybody. Um, Yeah, I think my takeaway, I mean, I love him talking about art and Instagram and social media and, you know, just the idea of hashtags and caring what other people are doing and just using it as a platform for what you want, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and not marketing yourself and branding yourself. But I think that for me talking to Barry and having this long opportunity to talk with him, because even if we weren't recording this for the podcast, it would have been just cool to talk to Barry, Yeah, you know? And I think he's, he's an inspiration to me as sort of like the direction I could go as a, a thinker. I don't even want to say like a leader, Mm -hmm. like, but to somebody that's like trying to, continue to forge ahead as somebody that was like planning on being a pastor and still kind of am, but like don't know how quite to engage with Christianity Mm -hmm. and Barry has found a way to, I just like this idea at this stage of the game is like nobody gets to say who's in and out of Christianity. And maybe Barry is like officially out of like traditional Christianity, but we still have a right. And this kind of came up with the Ashan conversation. We still have just as right as anybody to keep talking about it Yeah, and to keep, critiquing it or keep hoping for something more or to even incorporate the traditions and the practices. And, um, I just, I just like that. It's like there for the longest time I had people in my sort of imagination as like, I could be that in the future and it just doesn't feel great. I'm like, is that the end goal? Cause I guess that's okay, but it's not great. Yeah. Like, the way he's living and thinking and putting himself in these conversations, we're talking about philosophy and theology mm-hmm. that's not necessarily tied down to a firm belief in yeah. this divinity is relieving and inspiring, I think. Yeah, no, no institution is telling him what he can and can't say. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's nice. <laughs> that is nice. Um, yeah, it's and and I and I think it's liberating if anybody's listening that is sort of like in a traditional Christian environment, that's wonderful and great and, and all that. And like, also it's just nice to step aside sometimes and have a spacious place to think and wonder. And, and that's good too. There's no risk. Mm-hmm. There's no risk in that. It's yeah. fun. Mm-hmm. And then you can go back, you can go back to whatever it is you're up to and, <laughs> and be comfortable with that too. It's it's all light. It's all light. <laughs> this, this was a fun, light conversation. It also was, a morning conversation. I don't know yes. if people will be able to tell, Holy but smokes. Scott and I are not morning people. Big coffee. I, I, I had my giant coffee. So thankfully yeah. this time, 
we didn't get into any tiffs beforehand because we're likely to get into tiffs if it's a morning recording. So good uh, on uh, us. Uh, uh, we're growing. Okay. okay. We hope you like this episode. A nice meandering conversation. It just we had a, a rough outline of where we want to take it, but Barry just took it, and then we we were we all, rolled with he, it. He would say, "I'm sorry, I don't know really where I was going with that." And we're like, "That's fine. That's we liked what you said. Yeah, thing. keep going." <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, it's it's. I just want to say it's it's not a it's not a mistake that we did this interview. We really were excited to do it. So it's not like we're just. I hope you guys like. We're we're giving this interview to you. We hope you enjoy. It. Okay. Okay. See y'all uh, see next, you next week. week. We'll. Okay. Let's just say, next week I think we're gonna be talking about chips. <laughs> we're gonna be talking about <laughs> chips. So we we've done a lot of psychoanalytic topics, mm-hmm. and I think it's time we'll break. for us to continue with our mood board in. We can talk about Randomness. anything. So we've done we've done sugar, we've done snacks, and now we're going to do chips. Also, uh, please uh, give us a rating and review on iTunes. Um, consider reposting about us in your social media. Maybe even consider supporting us on Patreon. Really appreciate it. And now here is the interview with Barry Taylor. <laughs> Um, okay, Barry, maybe it just, well, first of all, we're recording outside, so people might hear cars go back and forth, but like, we also felt like that would sound kind of fun and authentic. I don't know. It's <laughs> authentic. <laughs> authentic to what? I don't know. We're, Authentically we're, outside. We're not in a sound booth. Um, <laughs> uh, I, Barry, um, so w- when we were in Ireland, you gave a presentation on anti-branding, but it was also just you riffing on uh, creativity and authenticity and I don't know exactly what you were doing, but, but also it's, it, yeah. What were you doing? I'm not sure I do either. <laughs> I, mean, I, certainly don't, I certainly don't remember. But. I think it was a, a little bit about, um, sort of like throwing paint at the wall, so to speak, like just keep creating and see what happens. Well, yeah, I, I think actually what I was talking about was, you know, there's, well, there are so many, so many things, but essentially, I, I, I think the the interesting thing about all the the platforms that people can work on today, it gives everybody um, an outlet, but it also puts people in this sort of weird uh, competition for. Um, presence and you, you know and, and especially and, and it's I, I, and I don't know whether it's nuanced depending on what you're trying to do so if you're promoting a business then that's one thing but but I but even when people I was talking to somebody the other day and they they were asking me why I didn't like a piece of their work you know that they posted and I was like well I I do like it and they're like, but you didn't, you didn't like it on my Instagram. And you don't like it, you know. I don't get, you know, blah blah blah. The algorithms and stuff like that. And I was like, you know, um, for the longest time, I never liked anything. Yeah. Because um, I, th- I think it's kind of stupid, really. <laughs> um, in in that, 
I, I know that if you don't like things, you get knocked off the algorithm. And I really dislike the fact that um, the sort of algorithms now dictate how we how we act mm-hmm. on on social media and stuff like like that. But you know, getting likes um, and sort of spending all your time worrying about the analysis and the data information and reading all the stats, who's liking, who's disliking, who's following. Like, I I don't know how many followers I have and I don't care. Because yeah. I, I actually don't post for anybody else. I post for myself. In fact, for the longest time, um, I didn't even have my name on uh, my my Instagram and I still don't actually use my my name. And it was my friend Pete. It's like, why don't you ever use your name? And I'm like, because I'm re- not really interested in um, trying to gain anything. I, I was using the platform for what I thought it was, which was uh, an environment in which you could. I'm talking about Instagram yeah. post like images or, or stuff that you created, and 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 have it like a, a sort of mobile visual library, you know, and. The whole dynamic with the likes and all the the pressures that to conform to certain things. So it's like if you want to boost, uh, you know, um, viewers, post this number of times a week at this time of day. Be consistent. Be regular. Blah 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 blah. And and I'm sure that works for some people, but it doesn't work for everybody in the first place. Yeah. And secondly, you're, you're suddenly now posting whatever you're posting to get something back. And I understand, I, I understand that dynamic, but I think it diminishes uh, because you start uh, essentially performing for other people and not yourself. There, like you suddenly find yourself with a, a series of pressures mm-hmm. on what you're creating mm-hmm. because now you're trying to create to the demands of the market, which is continually the pressure that we have to resist in uh, contemporary society because the market wants to control everything. And we've already signed our lives away anyway. So, you know, I mean, we've already signed off on that. So there's no, there's no protecting, uh, you know, the minute you're online, your privacy is, is history. But I don't think that that necessarily means you have to um, cater cater to people I, I i'm a believer that um you have to make if we're talking about art and i'm not talking about art more than products because i think there's yeah. a difference but if you're talking about art i think you have to make art for yourself first it needs to be an expression of who you are and uh and because it's true to who you are it actually that's what makes it potentially more universal in its appeal yeah it it has the the particularity of expression and i think what i was talking about when when we were in belfast was uh, you know we live in this era where everybody is supposed to be a creative you know and everybody wants to be uh, a creative and you know for a while i I taught alongside teaching theology i taught an art school in the school of advertising you know and in 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 advertising, you have two sort of key figures. You have copywriters and creative creators, you know, and the creatives are the one that comes up with the concepts and all that stuff, and the copywriter adds the words. And everybody wants to be a, a creative. But when everybody's creative, um, what you need 
is um, uniqueness. That's that's what has currency. If everything, if everybody's creative, then um, it's when what you create is distinctive and uh, maybe iconoclastic or idiosyncratic or but personal and and true to who you are uh, as a person and that is um i i think that's a life that takes a lifetime to to develop to find your own to find your own voice yeah. but you're never going to find it by catering to the market by the tyranny of algorithms or the tyrannies of likes or um the pressure of comparing what you do you know it's like i when i when i like i'm i'm a fan of lots of lots of different things but if i like a particular musical artist i don't go oh i like this i mean i might prefer one album over another but i take each piece of work for what it is yeah. and try and appreciate it as as that thing and i don't sort of build up this oh i like this but like that eh. You know, I mean, of course, we all make those 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 choices in in, in life. But I'm not sort of comparing, um, so I don't worry about. You know, I've got 26 likes on this post, so I should make more like this. Fuck that! <laughs> I mean, I, 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 Please I, I keep saying this. Sorry. Yes, you can. I, I just, and I don't mean that meanly, and I don't mean to be flippant or even arrogant about that. I I, I just feel quite strongly that. It's very important to be true to your your own processes and productivity, mm-hmm. regardless of the cost of that. And, and and I think that's and obviously that's a delicate balance. And again, because everybody's supposed to be creative, which is really code word for being involved in a world that wants to pay. Uh, you know, have zero hour contracts and not pay people what they're worth. And we've created this whole idea that people have to be creative and they're not really creative. It's, it's called survival. Mm. We've actually, we've actually conflated creativity with survival, I think in the 21st century, because of the way Mm. the economic structures have spiraled out of control and more and more people are unable to find work that supports them independently and uh and also there's the opportunity of finding your way to independent work i mean we've never been freer from those obligations but um but we but you know the freer you are you still have to deal with um how you're going to pay the rent and stuff like that so i know all those things are but when you try and monetize stuff you always have to make those um you always have to make those compromises and you yeah. have to decide. I, there's this guy, um, Nicholas Nasser Taleb. He wrote this book called uh, Black Swan. He, he, was, he used to be a, um, an analyst, um, I think in a, a hedge fund company or something. And, and he sort of spotted the, um, the mortgage meltdown and things like that, you know, the crash of the, and And he has this, comment is there's the difference between a slave and a person with a monthly salary is the slave knows he's not free. Hmm. Jeez. <laughs> that's, now, it. I, that's not to say that we don't want a monthly salary. Right. Um, um, because we all live within economic structures where we need, we need to make money. So, but we're not free. We're not free, but the, the level of freedom that we, 
we choose is, I think, contingent upon our willingness to do what we feel is true to who we are as a person, come hell or high water. And, that, and, and that's, not, that's not easy. I mean, I've done a lot of things in my life, and I, I made a decision quite early on that I wanted to pursue all the things that interested me. So I've never really had one job at a time. I've always had two or three going at the same time because I never had like a full-time gig in one place that allowed me the resources, except for occasionally I had, but for, for big chunks of my life, it was very much a feast or famine mm -hmm. uh, existence. I had to come to terms with, well, you know, if you make that choice, sometimes you have to live and die by your choices, you know, and sometimes you have to be willing to go a little hungrier because you, you don't want to capitulate to, to a thing. And I don't mean that in some kind of, you know, weird nihilistic or sacrificial or even sanctimonious way. I just think that there's all this pressure to brand everything. And people talk about, oh, my brand. Fuck your brand. You're just a person doing paintings. <laughs> I mean, I know that people make brands and, and I... I of course, I understand the language of that, but I, but I think we, we adopt these things without real reflection yeah. on, on, on what the implications of that are. And when a person becomes a brand, when you, you become essentially a product, mm -hmm. things get a little complicated because, you know, a, a product has, has certain expectations attached to it. You know, it's like if you if you go by, uh, you know, you go walking into, um, or when you could, in, in, into a seven <laughs> yeah. or whatever, and you're looking for a Coca-Cola. If they changed the can every time there was a, you know, every time they had a new delivery, you'd probably be going, what is this? You know what I mean? Yeah. We have a yeah. expectancies. The brand fits in this. And it's very hard once you've established that to break out of that. Yeah. And yeah. to rebrand and retag and and, and uh, we do. so I think we have to be kind of wary of that stuff and I do think we have to be wary of the tyranny of of likes yeah because I think it I think it's a tyranny mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. you know I, I mean I know people get really despondent I don't get enough likes <laughs> well are you doing it because you didn't get enough likes or are you doing it because it's something that that you find valuable. I yeah. get I get why you want likes. I understand. We all want to be affirmed. We all hope that that will go somewhere. But that can't be the driver. Yeah. Mm. That's okay. and, all the people that, and all the people that are telling you that you need to do all those things, arguably, they're not producing content anyway. They're just telling you how to get your content into a nice little container, right. which can be helpful, but I don't know that it's always necessary. But again, as I said, it depends what you're doing. Mm -hmm why you're doing it and, and what, you know, what it's for. I'm not that cynical. <laughs> I'm a little. This brings up so much because I just recently, since uh, I was on furlough for a month and I'm a painter, but I work a day job. And so I've never really like gotten to the point of going quote unquote, like public or using social media or anything to kind of share my paintings and I just made an Instagram. So I've been using it for about a month and it's specifically where I'm putting my paintings and putting my orcs and stuff. And already 
I like yesterday was posting and I was like, I have no idea if anybody gives a shit about me posting these random pictures. Like I love these like stories I'm posting of me painting, but I'm like, I, I don't know anybody who actually wants this. And I'm like, there's probably 10 people who see this, but for me, it's like really been a, a fun process of posting stuff on there. But as you, as you say this, I can already sense like there's expectations on the kinds of paintings I'm creating now. And I've, I've posted all these images and it's like, you can look at this page and there's a very specific aesthetic. And I, yeah. I do wonder as I approach the canvas now, I'm like, I, I wish I could almost go back and be like, I don't have those old paintings to refer to. Like I, but I can't, like I can't escape that they're now out there and people are seeing that attached to my works. Yeah. And, and, and of course, you know, I mean, all that stuff, I mean, it sounds like I'm just sort of flippantly dismissing it. And, and I don't mean that at all. I, I, I just mean that, um, A, I don't think that uh, the pathway to success is always by doing what the system tells you you should do. If that was the case, a lot more people would be a lot better off than, than, than they are. You know, it's like True. there's always this sense that there are people that know stuff and you know if we just do what they tell us we'll we'll get what we want and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't but I think what's often not factored into that whole equation when it comes to how somebody's work is received I mean skill plays a role and you know ability and and, and all that kind of stuff but but also luck plays a role yeah it's, it's not it's not uh, it's not pure meritocracy, the world of the arts. If it were, a lot more people would be uh, probably more famous and, and richer than they are if it was based on even ability or, or, or merit. But the mm -hmm. fact of the matter is, is for, for whole sets of um, situations and circumstances, um, the sun shines on somebody and there are other people as good if not better sometimes and they just don't get the break and uh, and I think sometimes we buy into this idea that if we do these things it guarantees us a certain amount of success and I don't think that's always true yeah and we have to gauge if that's actually the kind of success, the kind of success that you want which is that you've tailored your work to fit the market rather than finding letting the market find your work. yeah yeah that might, and, and that can take longer and it can never happen we were watching a documentary of uh david lynch and he was yeah. just i mean and he's the person that's seeming seemingly has stayed true to his vision over the years or his <laughs> not yeah. catered to the markets but it, it was nice because he kind of reflected on that luck element and when he was really yeah. young he got that a grant to do eraser head and he and he just looks at the camera and goes I, I don't know what I would have done without that grant. I, I don't know if there would be a David Lynch today without that grant. Yeah, and, um, and, and there could have been, you know, a whole lot of reasons why he got that grant. And, um, and of course, you know, I mean, again, as I said, it depends what you're doing because if, if, you're, in, if you're in the art world and you want to be like a full-time painter or stuff and you want to get into like the gallery system and things like that, I mean, it's business. And you better be savvy about it, but um, <laughs> but you know you're still um, likes aren't necessarily going to get you there. Yeah. I don't know. 
<laughs> you, you know. <laughs> you have all the answers, Barry. <laughs> this is this is what I've been like hounding into Scott for our podcast Instagram. Scott used to post all these things that got like 500 likes, but I was like, <laughs> this is not who we are. These listicles sure. you're posting. And so we would get into tiffs about it all the time. And now it's like, we don't do it anymore because it's like that's not our that's not our brand. We don't really care about it. It's attracting the wrong people. It's not you know. And so maybe we, we don't really have a brand. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean that, that's that's the thing. You, you know, you think certain things. You know, if you put the right hashtags on things, you know, you, I mean, I, most of the time I don't even bother with hashtags. I usually do if I if I post a picture of somebody's work or something. You know, mm. I will put that on there. But but largely out of respect. But um, but. Stuff for my own stuff. Yeah, who cares? I just, I, mean, really, I, I don't care because yeah. I'm doing it for me and I'm not looking for affirmation from anybody. Um, so, you know, people don't like it, they don't like it. I don't care. I think that that attitude comes across on your feed. I, I really enjoy your feed more than most people's, I think, because I can tell very much. You're like, he doesn't care how much he's posting or who's watching. You can tell that it's just like you're doing it because you want to. Um, yeah, I mean, I. It's yeah. I mean, I'm a little bit nuts about Instagram, but well, not really. Um, I, I I think I just enjoy. I've always been a visual person, and it's kind of nice to kind of have a a, a resource where you can sort of capture that stuff in yeah. the immediate and, and 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 move on. But yeah, it's like uh, this is where I'm at. You know, I, my peculiarities, the things that interest me. You know. Yeah, I mean, you do, uh, I mean, do you still do, it seems like there's a general practice of doing a gen, uh, like a daily collage of some kind. Is that still happening? Oh, yeah, well, I've done that. I've done that probably for, I don't know, 30 years. Yeah. I started practice a long, long time ago. So that has nothing to do with uh, Instagram. I just decided to post those. Um, I don't even know why. I just thought, oh, why not? just because you know you know what i mean yeah um, and um but yeah so i i i do i i do one every day i don't i i sometimes i forget to post them online because i'm like oh, i can't be bothered to take a picture of that i'll just move, move on you know but um, <laughs> so i mean i i, I do I, I have disciplines in in my life i i just don't really worry about who likes them <laughs> I, it's interesting like just to think about the the the, the history of sort of being in like a Christian leadership, I'm putting these all in quotes, like position in the sense that like, uh, there's, it seems like there's a burden when it comes to posting on social media of like, um, I find from, for myself, I don't know how, how you just experience this of like explaining why you posted that. Why, why did you post that? What were you trying to say and, and make it very clear to me? Um, yeah. Instead of just like I liked it, it's out there. Bam, moving on. Um, well, I, I I I have to say that I I used to be much more um, aware of of that. I used to feel that pressure more when I was younger, mm -hmm. um, and I, less less of a give a fuck about it, you know. Um, so. Uh, I sort of had to come to terms with the the fact that I, I I felt if I feel if I feel okay about something, that's good enough for me. And if if somebody else doesn't like it, when it comes to Instagram, they don't have to look at it. Yeah. It's not you know so don't. And I don't owe anybody an explanation 
So, and sometimes, uh, you know, people will ask me, you know, well, what does that mean? And I'm like, well, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> or it means whatever you want it to mean. You know, it's like, sometimes like, I, I, I started my, like, for instance, when I started my collages, I mean, I'd always been interested, I'd always done art stuff, but I used to just keep journals, regular journals, writing every day, blah, 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 blah. And I got a little bored with that. And, and I started to keep things, you know, that, and add those in, like, I don't know, movie tickets. You know, mm -hmm. people do tickets or pictures, postcards, all that kind of stuff. And then I was like, ah, I'm just sick of writing words. Maybe <laughs> I should just, uh, I'm going to, like, try and capture my day um, with, firstly, with all the, I, so I started to keep all the ephemera of my day. So yeah. if I went to, I did the receipt and all that stuff. And I was mm -hmm. like, hmm, maybe I should just try and I'm going to try and work out um, what major emotion was I feeling today and how can I express that? And I'm like, I think I'm going to make a collage about that. Hmm. And it really, and, and, and so it, it just became this thing where I decided to capture something that I was feeling or something that interested me um, alongside. And, and the funny thing is, is that eventually I went back to journaling and now I, I like, so now I, I'm ridiculous. I have like a daily journal yeah. that, I, that I do every day. I have a quote book that I, you know, do every day. I have a book journal and then I have a collage and every day I try and, uh, well, I don't try. I, I attend to all of those um, every, every day. So um, because they're just ways of, of coming to terms with stuff. And, and, and when it comes to Instagram and, and, and people, you know, and sometimes people go, oh, that's, you know, weird or whatever. I'm like, well, it just struck me at the time as really kind of interesting. And I'm not afraid of, you know, I, I'm just not afraid of... Um, I'm not afraid of, if I'm not offended by it, I understand that somebody else might be offended by it. But again, not my, not my, not my worry. Don't look at it then. Um, or if you don't like it, that, that's okay. That's okay too. Um, but, that, but as I said, that took me a, a while to come to. And, and when I was, you know, like a more sort of formal churchy pastor and teaching at a, theology school and stuff there were all these pressures you know to conform to things and uh i i found that quite um burdensome mm -hmm. and, and i just sort of i don't know what i don't know what it was exactly well i think you know my take on it is is if you mess up majorly a couple of times in your life uh and your mess ups are exposed in some way. And I don't, I don't mean like you murdered somebody, but you know, you, we all, we all, we all fuck up and, and uh, we can all humiliate ourselves by acts of self-destruction or, or, or stuff like that. And, and, and you realize, well, you know, people know the worst about me now. So um, there's nothing, there's nothing to hide and there's nothing, there's nothing to lose. So I might as well just be fully me. Cause anyway, and, and beyond that, we've got one life to live, I think. And or at least it's the only one we can count on. It's the only one we have real uh, cognition, of. cognition of. 
So um, do I want to spend all of my life worrying about what somebody else thinks about what I'm doing? Not really. I, 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 I'm interested in lots of things, and I just decided I was going to explore lots of things. And um, it's just the way it is. And um, a friend of mine told me a few years ago, Sorry, I'm waffling on here. I but like it. <laughs> he told me a, a few years ago, a long time ago, actually. He was like, I get up every day and I figure there'll be at least half a dozen people who will not like me today. And I found that really liberating because yeah. I was one of, I wanted, you know, I, I always wanted, I wanted people to like me. And it's not that I don't want people to like me. I, of course, nobody wants people to hate them. But the tyranny of that, the pressure of, you know, and and I... I yielded to that pressure quite a lot. You know, I, I would internalize all these things and try and, and and sort of negate myself in the hope that people would like me or accept me and stuff. And they didn't anyway, because stuff like that isn't manageable. You know, it just sort of happens. And so in the end, I just went, you know, I am only going to be okay if I'm fully me and I pursue the things that, interests me and I'm curious about and that I want to know about mm-hmm. and I want to explore and sometimes I just want to post a naked picture <laughs> yeah. that's it something that I saw in a, in a in a gallery or in a book or or something not because I'm trying to be salacious or lascivious or lustful or you know misogynistic because it may not be a a, a female image you know but it's because there's something about that image that I find appealing but uh, I I wouldn't tell you necessarily what it is because I'm not even sure I've taken the time to work out exactly what it is I just know that it resonates with me on some level and it speaks to some part of of my life and I just I, I just decided that things that I was interested in I was going to explore until I didn't want to explore them anymore and talk about them if I had opportunity to, if I was interested in talking about them and post them on my Instagram if I feel like it. Uh, I, I'm, I mean, I, I feel very pumped up and inspired right now. I feel like other people will feel pumped up and inspired by this. <laughs> I don't mean to come across like, oh, I don't give a shit. I mean, although I don't give a shit and I do give a shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a I mean, balance. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not like I, 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 don't, I don't set out I'm not trying to be offensive. Right. I'm trying to be true to, true to myself. And this is me for better or for worse. Yeah. And uh, these are all the things that, you know, you can, you can work out quite a lot about me from my Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, being offensive yeah. is like the other side of the coin of caring what other people think. It's like, on the one hand, you're trying to tailor yourself to be too likable. On the other hand, you're considering how you're going to provoke and be offensive instead of just being like, I'm going to be true to myself. This is what interests me right now. I, it may provoke it. You may like, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, and, and funnily enough, I find lots of things interesting and I'm stunned when people don't. <laughs> Same. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of sad when people have, have a narrow world and they can't show interest, even in, even in things that are challenging. You know what I mean? But life's challenging. So why wouldn't, you know, the things, I don't know. Yeah, you, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do and I don't. <laughs> for, for, for the longest time, um, <laughs> in fact, 
I'll tell this story. Years ago, I was at this conference and I was on this panel with um, uh, Derek Webb. Oh, and, yeah. And Richard Raw yep. and, Nad- and Nadia Boltzweber. Cool wow. panel. <laughs> panel. And, and I forget how, and, and uh, Nadia sort of left, left off and uh, led off. And she said, um, she said something and then she was talking about who, who she is as a person. And she sort of said, you know, um, I, 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 I'll, I'll say fuck you to somebody, but I would, you know, but I don't say that from the pulpit or, or whatever, but she was just sort of, you know, revealing herself in the, mm-hmm. in, in the way that she, way that she does. And then Derek talked about, and he was sort of working through his, his sort of Christian thing. And, and then Richard was talking about his stuff. And, and, and I sort of said, um, I said, unlike Nadia, I'm English. So fuck you is way too personal, but I'm a fuck it person. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> um, and, I, and, and I said, my attitude is fuck it. And uh, it's almost like, and then it was really funny because a little bit later, there, there's actually a, a guy who um, published a book and there's a whole um, like web world called fuck it spirituality. Which is, and 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 at the time, and when I found that, I was like, I was so bummed because I thought I developed fuck it. For, fuck it <laughs> that was my thing. <laughs> and, and what I what, what I meant by that was my my attitude is, is uh, it, and I actually got Richard <laughs> Richard Raw to say it too, which was quite funny. <laughs> Telling tales out of school now, but um, I wasn't trying to be offensive. Uh, and I, what I was saying is that sometimes you just have to. Um, let it all you have to let it go you just have mm-hmm. to go fuck it mm-hmm. um let the chips fall where they will um this is where i'm at and this is what's going on with me and um if you don't like it fuck it <laughs> you could have branded that barry and, and i don't <laughs> like you know and half the time i don't like myself so i, I realized as well i've got enough self-loathing i don't need anybody else's to help me you know what i mean <laughs> so a good word. Any, anybody anybody who doesn't like me they have no idea how much <laughs> i how much self-loathing is you know working in me i can I said to somebody, I said to um, somebody once, I said, my, my inner critical voice has shouted out the voice of God my entire existence. You know, my, my inner voice shouts way louder than any other voice in, in, uh, in my world. So fuck it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's so good, man. You know, I mean, personally, since I you, teach yeah. you, I did, I did teach, teach a class on swearing. So um, I understand the ins and outs of beautiful uh, swearing. <laughs> Um, uh, I I mean, I I would love, I, I, first of all, the funny thing about situation Jesus is I, I was following that as a fan, not knowing it was you. Your situation Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't realize that. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean that, that came out of, um, so your situation Jesus, you know, who the situationists were. No, no. So the the Situationists were were um, a, a group of um, artists that emerged. I think part, mostly Italian uh, in the nineteen fifties. They didn't last very long, but they um, they were this kind of radical group of people who wanted to create what they called uh, situations, and the situations were 
artistic disruptions of the everyday. In fact, you know, um, got uh, Guy Debord, who wrote the Society of the Spectacle. Denote. He was one of the okay. he was one of the founders of the Situationist International, and the Situationists were kind of pre postmodern philosophers, all that kind of stuff. And one of the things that they did was they would steal comic, or they would get comic books, and they would uh, rewrite words in comic books and then subversively put them back in bookshops. So when someone opened up their favorite comic, they'd get some political message. And um, they had this whole thing of, of creating these situations and these disruptions through, through art. So it was kind of a, a provocation through art. And they, it was actually, the, the situationists were, were very influential um, on uh, two key figures in the the foundation of punk in Britain. Uh, Malcolm McLaren, who's sort of renowned for being the manager of the Sex Pistols, and Jamie Reed, the graphic designer who created all the, the Sex Pistols um, identity, brand, basically. He was, a he was a graphic designer, and they were both influenced by um, the, the Situationists. In fact, before... Malcolm McLaren managed the Sex Pistols. He managed um, the the New York Dolls hmm. in and um, at, at a concert in New York in in the early seventies. The New York Dolls performed with a big banner behind them that said "The Politics of Boredom." Well, that was a Situationist slogan. So, the the Situationists had had a lot to do uh, on some level with the way that punk uh, emerged and the some of the directions that it took. And it was one of the, the sort of art movements, you know, like surrealism and Dadaism and all these things that emerged in the, the early part of the 20th century that were both um, art movements, but also kind of protest movements, uh, anti-establishment ideas and... Um, so I, I, I just, um, I have these, uh, I'll show you actually. I mean, this won't help you because we're not, this is recorded, right? Yeah, there's no pictures. Yeah, yeah. I, we'll put them up. We'll I have this them. set of books called um, Genesis to Revelation um, in picture strip form. <laughs> it's like a series of like, um, basically comic books. Yeah. Of the whole Bible. It's from, it's from the, from the seventies when it was all, yeah, you know, trying to be kind of hip. So you know, <laughs> there's one on the front, you know, of Jesus with Peter. Or why do you doubt me? And so I, I took one of the one of the images and redrew it. Okay. And then, and then just started to put words in. It. I just traced out over the old image, and then every I just thought, well, every day I'm going to put words in Jesus's mouth. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I know, I know. You know, and and it's really funny because now I'm like, oh my god, I got to do another one today. And, and, <laughs> And usually, I, I, and they're, they're, you know, quite often they're legit. Then, well, it's a very small space, so usually I truncate, I try and collapse a philosophical idea into that space yeah. or condense it. Sometimes it's a direct quote, and sometimes it's just stuff that I make up. Yeah, you know? that's I, I. The best ones are not mine, 
but I but I but I make up a few. But I, you know, I just take them from things that I'm reading, from things that I I find, and I just bung them in there, and I just put it up there every day. So that's another discipline that that I do. Um, and you know, yeah, people write to me all the time, and they go, well, "What do you mean by that?" And I just don't answer because. <laughs> yeah. um, the whole point is it's a disruption. What does it mean to you? Yeah, exactly. And you obviously weren't expecting Jesus to quote Lacan at that point in time. You know? <laughs> or, or Hegel or whatever, yeah. you know. For people listening, I, oh, go ahead. And, you know, I, I picked that. I liked it because, um, in fact, at first I was going to call it shut up because that's the other thing in the cartoon. You know, the Pharisees say shut up, you know, so... Uh, I made a little book of it once. When I first started, I did them just, I drew them, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but then I was like, oh, this will be good on the inter- on the Instagram because it was square. And if you remember, when Instagram first started, it was square, mm-hmm. yeah. which was my favorite. I mean, I'm not usually uh, a traditionalist, but I'm a, I was a, I'm a little old school with Instagram. I wish it would go back to the old algorithm and the only square images and all the get rid of all the other stuff never going to happen but um, <laughs> but I wish but so I just started to post it uh, as a lot really and again posted it for me right my way of like sticking a comic in the world where someone might um look at it and go oh wait a minute yeah well, that's so, exactly what it did I mean and I think to you know we've uh I mean it's so obvious that we've domesticated Jesus so much and so it's like to reimagine Jesus not saying your favorite Bible verses if he was here in modern times, but saying something that would be disruptive because that's what he did. And the other side of it was, was also the, uh, an awareness that religious people put words in Jesus's mouth all the time. Mm-hmm. Everybody's yeah. speaking for Jesus, and yeah. even when even when they even when they um, speak what are supposedly his words. They're they're said in the speaker's own context and own way. So I was like, oh well, let's just mess around with that a little bit and you know, shut up. <laughs> shut I just up. Like, I like the shut up. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, shut up. It's like, which is what I say to myself all the time. Oh, shut up. But <laughs> I also like the fact that exchange. I just thought that was, I, I thought it was an interesting little uh, cartoon. Did you want to read one of them? Well, or something? I was going to just say for people listening, just to visual to visualize it. Uh, first of all, follow situation situation is Jesus, but it says most people rejected his message, and it's Jesus talking to a group of Pharisees, and then it's quoting Galatians four sixteen. They hated Jesus because he told them the truth, and then it's in that bubble of what Jesus yep. is saying that you say pretty much anything. Uh, I'll yeah, give a few well. examples. Moral complexity is rarely found in simple reversals. And then <laughs> shut up. Shut up. <laughs> uh, the fullest affirmation of God is in his denial. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, There's always a shut up. Yeah. <laughs> that something is meaningless does not make it any less real. Oh, shut up. Do you have like your own inner committee, Barry, of, of tell- people telling you to shut up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most. Oh, I thought actually, I thought today's was pretty good. What is, today's what is today's? What a pity that so hard on the heels of the gods come their followers. Dang. Yeah, and you could just sit and contemplate that for a long time. But most people don't want to contemplate it. That's why we say shut up. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about it. Shut up. Don't make me think. Don't make me think. But again, you, know, you can't shut up the internet. Yeah. Information is, I mean, I'm, you know, yeah. I mean, I might. I've been doing that for a while now. That might, might be time for a change on that, but I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I'll hand it off to another situation. <laughs> Maybe. Um, do we want to talk about, like, religionless Christianity? Is that what you call it, Barry? Do you call it? I don't know. That, that seems like Peter's word, religionless Christianity. But, oh. like, what you're doing with H&Co and the hatchery. and I think that's actually Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Oh, right, right. That is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Or, or like, um, well, you know, it's funny. Pete and I, sometimes we argue over who said what first. All right, I bet. Yeah. I think that was mine. Well, to his credit, he says a lot a lot more first than, than uh, I do. But, you know, we're, we're quite similar in our take on things. Yeah. So, um, and there's a lot of interchange in uh, our ideas. I, I, I think if there's a difference between us, it's probably that he starts, I think, from the philosophical and the psychoanalytical and moves towards the theological and, and I do the reverse. Right. But even that's not true, but you know, but you know what I mean? Generally. Like, I, I, yeah. Because I've, I've been sort of more embedded in the world of um, theology and academics in a different way than, than him, which, but um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, <laughs> Word, you know, it's so difficult because I, I, I sort of have to try and work out all the time, like, what do I think about that today? Mm-hmm. Because, I, I, you know, I'm, there, are, there are constant dialogues and conversations that I have about these things in, 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 my, in my life that um, are continuing. So I've sort of moved... And again, very, very similar to, to lots of other people. You know, my involvement in, in the church initially um, was through, you know, very sort of regular and ordinary and, and pretty conservative channels. I sort of came into religion on in, in the 80s, you know, in the kind of whirlwind of non-denominational sort of charismatic kind of weird sort of churches and went through all of that and went through, you know, mainline Christianity and then out the other side. And I kind of moved through a series of um, shifts and changes away from kind of, away from kind of supernaturalism and, and, uh, particular kinds of theism and and so i i tend not to put names on or try not to label things because there is always a little huddle around the particular you know you know you've got your you know your your post-evangelicals your neo-atheists your post-atheists the atheists um the non-theists, the post-theists, <laughs> you know, yeah. the religionless Christianity, Christianity without religion, post-church, uh, no church, you know, all, all, all of those things. And, and they're all, I think, part of, uh, of, of an equation. I mean, I, I, I've camped for quite some time in, in the world of sort of radical theology, I suppose, is where I've lived for probably the last 
I don't know, 10 or 15 years in, in some form or, or another, kind of exploring the intersections of theology with lots of other disciplines and perspectives. I'm, I'm really interested, what I'm really interested in, well, one of the things that I'm interested in is I'm interested in how ideas about religion and spirituality shift and change with um, cultural shifts and changes and what the implications are for um, things like theology when it comes to those things. And, uh, and I'm really interested in, and, and I'm interested on, 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 on one level, like on a sociological level, I think it's really fascinating. Like, even if I wasn't involved in religion, I think I'd be interested in what's happening with religion because it's sort of everywhere in some form or another in this day and age in a way that it wasn't 20 years ago, maybe even 15 years ago. It just wasn't that way. But I, I, I think we live in, in a world where, and I said this the, the, the other day actually in, in an online class that, that I was participating in, um, that, I, that I think one of the, interesting things that's happening is that people aren't just abandoning particular forms of religion. I actually think people are in the process of abandoning the idea of religion itself hmm. in favor of, I mean, it gets called spirituality. Um, and, you know, I know all the eye rolling arguments about, you know, religion versus spirituality and stuff, but, but there is something in that. Yeah. But what I, what I think is happening is is that that I think um, through through and because of technology, um, culture itself is becoming not only a site of the sacred but sacred. Hmm. Woo! And uh, and you know so because it's not just a question that you know people find God in films or in memes, which they do. Um, but those memes and things become artifacts of the sacred in and of themselves. And um, so I'm interested. So I'm interested on one level, I'm interested in what's going on within uh, Christianity. But I'm also, um, I, I also got a little tired if I'm honest, of constantly um, feeling like the conversation had to have American evangelicalism as its sparring partner. Hmm. Oh, that's so I, well said. Hmm. Yeah. Sort of reached the fuck it point with that, to be quite honest, where um, I, I just felt like um, if, if something is going to happen or something can't happen, uh, you know, like sometimes things exist because, because the other thing exists. Like you don't have atheism without theism. And to some degree, uh, an atheist is a theist. Yeah. They're dealing with theism. And I'm not interested in either one. It's like, a, it reminds me of Unbreakable where it's like you need Mr. Glass or yeah. you need the villain in order to exist. You know, you know, because essentially atheism is a, re a rebuttal or a refusal of theism. Yeah. 
So atheism doesn't exist if without theism. Without theism. You know, you know what I mean? And some conversations about the, the, the future of Christianity, even religionless Christianity that's going on at the moment, they don't exist without um, the the other sort of side of the equation going on. I'm not not really saying this well, but I think you are. <laughs> I, I think it's like um, you have to you have to reach a point where um, you you find new ways of you find ways of talking about it that don't allow the old conversations to go on. Mm. Because you know it's like it's like so often you have uh, conversations where um, it's like, okay, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of people, you know, who are, are experiencing uh, a loss of faith in their experience of uh, Christianity. You, you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, the, some of the conversations about what to do about that are dependent and parasitic upon that, upon that, upon that conversation. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Sometimes you just have to have a different conversation in order to get somewhere, somewhere new with a new vocabulary. And uh, you have to disrupt that conversation mm-hmm. by having an, an alternate conversation. So, and, and that in some ways, I mean, I, I I've been, you know, I, I moved back to England um, a, like two and a half years ago after like more than 30 years in L.A. Hmm. And part of that, part of that was um, family issues that I needed to, to attend to. The other part of it was that um, I just felt that I needed to um, make some disruptions and interruptions in, in my life, but I didn't know why or or exactly what they were and and i and, and that's why i feel a little vague about speaking about this at the moment but um i'm coming to realize that i i was um i, I was just getting i was getting bored with conversations that seem to be circular you know so you, you know how people trying to cope with the loss of meaning or, or the loss of faith, but it's only kind of a meaningful conversation um, as long as it's um, parasitic on the, the thing that still maintains meaning and, and, uh, and faith. And, and I'm not sure that you can get away, uh, totally get yeah. away from that. But uh, I, with a couple of friends over here, we, we started this thing called the European Radical Theology Network. And basically, the the goal was to have conversations that didn't include the American perspective, religious and theological perspective mm-hmm. on the situation. Not because that's there's not validity, legitimacy there, but Europe is not the same as America. Right. And sometimes the conversation just bleeds, and it becomes the same conversation everywhere you go. And we just wanted to try and disrupt that a little bit. And say we're going to have a different conversation here and, and, and start to include some different things. So I'm definitely kind of um, 
one. I guess I'm definitely post-theist. But there again, I'm not even sure I was ever theist, really. Hmm. It's really funny. Um, I, I saw a, a long time ago, uh, before I even had vocabulary for it, I, I realized that that I needed to let go of, of some religious baggage. And one of the first things I let go of was, was the idea of God. <laughs> <laughs> but, that was, but, it, but it came back to... It came back to the fact that that my my interest in Christianity was first and foremost connected to a desire to come to terms with um, my lack of a depth of humanity that I wanted for myself, hmm. uh, and I saw within that framework uh, an invitation to uh, experience a richer sense of what it means to be human. But um, I, when I got involved in church, you adopt all the language and all the vocabulary and all the symbols and all the signs. And almost unknowingly or unwittingly, you just take on all the stuff and you go, oh, of course, this is the conversation. Not exactly the conversation I wanted, but this is a pretty cool conversation, you know? So, and, and it seems to be the one that everybody's having. And, um, but I was always like somehow disconnected from 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 that and it was only when i sort of started to really dig into these things and go well what what does all this mean to me and and where do i where do i sit with all these things and what do i um what matters to me in in all of this that it began this sort of dramatic process really of reframing how i how i think about the whole project of christianity and and my my place or lack of place in it. I mean, I think there is place, but, you know, again, I, I, and, and I did most of that through ongoing, I mean, you know, I was in, in the Episcopal Church for 10 years. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I was like off in the boonies somewhere. I mean, I was trying to, you know, trying to work this out uh, in, in sort of public ways on 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 on, on some levels and it's not like i was shouting everything from the rooftop i also wasn't denying things either yeah. i just started to talk about different things the and conversation things, yeah yeah and things that interested me and things that i thought were were important for me and i know that's incredibly subjective but uh that's the church's fault because they tell everybody you need a personal relationship with Jesus. So if you don't want people to be hyper individualistic, don't personalize religion so much. Amen. <laughs> I know it's Seriously, true. Right. No. I know. I think that's one of the biggest early insights I was getting probably four or five years ago from you and Peter. And I was like learning sort of from you through my wife who's taking classes from you at Fuller. And I was doing my final finishing up my MDiv and she would come back after going to South by Southwest with you and cans. And first of all, I was super jealous. I was like, this is, this is way different than my, uh, my, uh, Hebrew exegesis of Jeremiah. I'm like, <laughs> I'd much rather be going to South by Southwest with Barry and seeing St. Vincent. Um, but, uh, I think at the time I was also watching some, started watching some of Peter's stuff. And it was this idea that, um, you can just because you put a label on it, um, you you have to answer for the way it's manifesting itself. So, um, a, a Christian and an atheist and all sorts of different religions and, and labels and stuff can all look the same. There, you're working out your own psychological neuroses through this religion, and sure. and you know Peter would say, uh, 
you can convert from Christianity to atheism, but you're still acting and behaving the exact same way and using that system. Yeah. And just being honest well, about you, that. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. And, and, and we do do that. And the, 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 the goal, I think, is to, to not try and replace something, but let the whole be there and then work out what you do, what you do about that hmm. and uh, how, how you handle that that kind of thing, that kind of incompleteness in, you know, and, uh, yeah. So I, I remain interested in the world of religion and, and, and Christianity still, um, but probably not in, uh, well, definitely not in the ways that I used to, and definitely not in, in the ways that, that many people still do, but I'm not alone in that. And I think increasingly more and more people, are feeling disenfranchised from particular forms of uh, Christian expression and trying to work out what to do. It still works for some people, you know, uh, but it doesn't work for everybody. And um, for those who don't, then it's that long journey towards, uh, well, you know, you either walk away or you um, find your way through to some other way of sort of understanding what it what it's all what it all means and um because i one of my big sort of interests has really been it's funny i was thinking about this i i've always um even when i taught theology i used to teach you know theology and culture and you know there's usually a conversation partner with it but i realized that what interests me about culture in general and what interests me about religion as well is what happens when things don't fit when things don't fit into the grid Mm -hmm. you know and this happens with you know there are all these um swerves and things that happen you know and you can be going along like this and then something happens and and it's like oh that doesn't fit into this what do you do with all the bits you just cut it out i mean that that tends to be what what happens they Mm -hmm. we chop things we chop things off because we we tend to think it's it's all neatly put together and i realized that i was interested in um what doesn't fit and then well why doesn't it fit and what do we do with the bits whether it's cultural or religious you know mm-hmm. what what do we do and i came to this very very um strangely because like i said when i first got involved in in, in christianity it was i was I don't think I was, I, I wasn't conservative, but, um, uh, you know, you, you adapt and you become, you know, you sort of yeah. toe the line for a while. And, 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 you know, and I was on the road with a, with a, a band before I got involved in like church and stuff like that. So sexual, sexual issues have never been a big thing with, with me. But when I got involved in, you know, churches, especially, you know, back in the eighties, the you know, things like, human sexuality were, if they were talked about, it was very kind of narrow. And, you know, homosexuality was a complete no-no. And, you know, you'd hear all the arguments of, well, well, you know, it's just, you know, it's cultural conditioning and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and I don't mean this offensively, uh, and I'm not even saying it's true, but you could look at a group and you can go, well, Okay, let's say that three out of those four people have been shaped by some culture experience, but there's that one person, and they're just gay. 
<laughs> for no reason other than they're gay. Now, I think all four were probably that way. But, you know, you could you could look at somebody and go, oh, well, maybe this. And, and I would say maybe that has something to do with fluidity or, you know, the, the fact that things don't fit into binaries and there are spectrums and all that that kind of stuff. But, but what I realized was we were trying to have a conversation about an issue like that. And that's probably a bad one to use because I know that, that, that I'm just trying to put it in the context of the time. In, in the 80s when this was going on. And what it signaled to me was, because I wasn't trying to tell anybody they shouldn't be gay. I was trying to work out, why does this not fit into the equation? Why does that, you know, and, and what do we do about that when, because you, because you look at that and then you go, well, wait a minute. We have this very singular perspective about human sexuality. But all you have to do is start studying human sexuality uh, a little bit. I mean, again, um, I, I, I still have this book that there's one of the books that I looked at. It's called Sex in History. This will fuck you up if yeah. you think uh, sex is this very simple uh, thing. You, you, you know what I mean? That it's so easily to explain. Um, and, and there is so much in life that doesn't fit into the, the categorizations that we want for it to be neat. And this is the problem with religion. It wants to force people into what they call is the narrow way, which I think is a complete bastardization of yeah. what's being said. But um, we want to make it manageable. And life is not manageable. And the art of life is to learn how to handle randomness, hmm. not to kind of eradicate it. Because life comes with no guarantees and life is riddled with uncertainty and any system or grid that you have will, will, will encounter things that don't fit in the grid. Like I've said to Pete before, and Pete and I have talked about this, you know, Pete, Pete when he first started, used to talk about, you know, his, his logo was, you know, um, to believe is human, to doubt is divine, you know, and, and he talked about, you know, making room for doubt. And my, my, my belief was the church has always had room for doubt. Yeah. But it was um, usually uh, demonized. Mm -hmm. You have either yielded to the devil or you lack faith. Hmm. The gift that Pete brought was that he made room for doubt as a, a positive rather than a negative to the experience of, uh, of, um, of, of the sacred. And um, so how things get accommodated into the, into the system or what to do when they don't. So, you know, the ongoing, the ongoing arguments, futile arguments that, that Christianity has trying to make people conform to, to this or that, you know, it's like, Again, I said to somebody yesterday, well, if Facebook has like 73 gender options or whatever it is now, and you think there are two, there's probably 71 people that aren't going to be interested in what you have to say. <laughs> so no, I'm not saying you have to, I'm not saying, I'm not saying you have to buy into the idea of 73. I think you probably find more than that. Um, I don't really care. To me, it's like I don't even know why we have conversations about sex, to be quite honest, or at least the conversations that we're having. I think there are conversations to be had, but um, not those. Anyway, I don't know why we got off on the on got off on the sex thing. <laughs> 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 um, it's a pertinent conversation. 
maybe. I mean, I, I, and again, I don't want to treat it too 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 lightly. I, I know it's it's difficult for people to it's difficult for people to get over these hurdles. It's yeah. not an excuse. It's just a reality. Um, I think you just have to like throw your hands up and go, oh yeah, I was kind of stupid. I thought it was that simple. It's not that simple. And uh, I should just make room for what I don't understand and embrace it fully and let it be. Because who says that I'm the norm? You know, this conversation is so like, it, it, I, I mean, it, uh, I have so many, <laughs> you gave me so many good thoughts right there. Um, uh, you know, we say in our tagline, in our, quote unquote branding that we're trying to live a less certain and more curious life. And yeah. I'm not entirely sure that I even know what that means. And I think it's a little bit of what you've been saying, per, per, just pursuing our interests, whatever, whatever we find interesting. But it, I think so much of what you're talking about throughout this entire conversation is a version of that project. Mm-hmm. Um, just letting yourself follow that. But growing up, my dad's a pastor, my grandpa's a pastor, growing up in conservative evangelical Christianity. And I know certain listeners will be listening and just understand the whole premise of this podcast is following your curiosity. But we also do have a lot of friends that listen that are traditionally Christian and, and that's great. But I, I know that as you're talking and and I'm just starting to not approach life this way, people are trying to fit everything you're saying into their box. They're trying to say, Okay, that's a little out there, but let me get it back into my box. Yeah, and, and, and I, the thing is, I, 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 I'm not, um, I'm not an evangelist. You don't have to, you know. I, I'm probably wrong, firstly, and secondly, <laughs> and secondly, um, I don't need. I, I, I'm not out to try and convince somebody else to think the way I think. Yeah, I'd be. I, I'm happy. When I, when I was teaching theology, um, my, my goal was to help people think better about life. And I, I said quite often to, to students, it doesn't matter to me um, that you believe what you believe as much as it matters to me that you understand mm-hmm. why you believe and if you really believe, if you really believe that, and actually, do we even need to be uh, so bound up with a particular notion of what it means to believe, which I think is kind of a, a, an erroneous thing anyway. But at least to know why you think what you think and to realize that much of what you think is actually something that you've taken on without thought. Mm-hmm. And it becomes a, your, your sort of opinion um, so don't change because I think you should change. Change because uh, you've thought something through or don't change because you've thought something through or, you know, and you're happy with your particular bias or prejudice because we all have them. We've all got biases and, and, and prejudices of, uh, of some kind um, somewhere. But um, I, I've never been that hung up on uh, some of the things that, religion gets hung up on which is also one of the other frustrations it's irritating when conversations just seem so important and you go it doesn't have to be this hard it's not that it's not you know it's not for anyway it's like just let it go like what who what what difference does it make to you well who are you who are you protecting yeah you know yeah and and uh and and so so much hurt is done 
by this, oh, well, you know, I, I'm standing up for, you know, the truth, as if the truth is available to the anybody. Yeah. As you talk, I just think this, this requires so much imagination. But in that imagination, it, it'll, it has so much, you know, freedom. Like this idea of not having a conversation, as you mentioned, like, being theist and post-theist, it's already kind of assuming theism, or that's part of the conversation. And as you're talking, I'm like, man, I, it feels very challenging, but fun and exciting to, um, to try and come up with language that's imagining something outside of those parameters. You know, growing up evangelical, it's, it's seems almost impossible because it's, it's so much embedded in me. And yet the, the prospect of completely imagining something also seems so exciting. Yeah, it's just that we, I, I think we reach points where, um, where the old vocabulary doesn't suffice anymore. Yeah. And it doesn't suffice because the world in which that language wants to exist doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And you see it throughout history. I mean, we, we, we constantly remake our vocabulary, um, particularly um, in times of, uh, of shift and change. And, and, I, and I think what's a, part of the dynamic of what's happening with a lot of people um, with, within the realm of religion and maybe even within the realm of Christianity is that words are failing us. The words don't suffice anymore mm-hmm. and language is the way that we capture and describe and invite the things that we feel and experience and aspire to and uh, I, I think it's why there's so much interest in the poetic at, at, at the moment I mean everybody's in in many fields of uh, in, in philosophy in um psychoanalysis and theology uh, in in the arts there's a growing interest in poetry rather than prose mm. and uh, poetry is an entirely different use of language it takes you different places and uh, it wants to chew up <laughs> the old ways of speaking and and find and give voice to the give voice to to the new and I, I and I just feel that um, that's where we are, and it's hard. You know, it's hard to write. Uh, it's hard to write poetry. In fact, I I snapped a picture today uh, of this uh, woman who I follow on uh, Instagram, Lou Dwalon. She's a French singer, and she has a cup on her uh, on her Instagram today. And on the cup, it says this: "It's always been my desire to wrote to write poetry." but I find it incredibly fucking difficult. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I mean, there it is that, you know, to give voice to things um, and not just echo other yeah, things. Is, yeah. it, it is difficult and it is a challenge and it's a, uh, but, uh, but I don't know why we would think otherwise, but we do because we, we tend to live, I think with this idea that things are supposed to come easily. And in my experience, things that are good don't always come easily, come quite hard. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they just float down out of the sky and it's all cool. It's random. uh, Yeah, it's random. I don't know, waffling a lot today, sorry. No, no, this is perfect. (laughs) This is our podcast. Our podcast is waffling and meandering. It's waffling and meandering. 
I'm not sure I've had one cohesive thought. No, I, I knew this is how it would be too. I said that I was like, you know, Barry will just talk and it will be great. But I met what what part of the conversation is making me think about um, being at this presentation at uh, a school called the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology here in Seattle. Yeah, and and. Um, and it was the president and his wife, Dan Allender, was speaking about something on marriage. And we all went to yeah. hear them speak, and it was great. I mean, they, they stood up there, and they talked about marriage for about an hour and a half. And uh, I walked away thinking that was really great. And I remember coming with a friend of mine, and I was like, what do you think? And they were like, they did not prepare for that at all. I cannot <laughs> believe. you know. And I was like, well, why yeah. would you need them? Did you, did you need them to have formal notes? I mean, they're speaking from their life. They've been married 30 years. He's a professor at this school. Like, the, the material was nice. I, I, didn't, I didn't need them to have notes and a, and, a, and a, like, memorized message for us, you know? Yeah, you know, some, it's, we're all different. What yeah. we, you know, how we receive it and what we want to get from it, you know? It's, it's always it's such a crapshoot. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, I actually probably need to go because I have yeah. a class. Yeah, yeah. This has been so fun, Barry. Thank you so much. This is really awesome. Thank you so much. I, I hope there's something salvageable in all of that. If not, <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> That's perfect. That's a perfect way to end. <laughs> all right. Cheers, my friend. Bye. <laughs> all right. Which is a result of the laws which govern physical behavior merging with the highest levels of spirit and together manifesting the magical and mystical level of cosmic awareness coming along with the longing for complete surrender to the higher self which has potentially been waiting these long eons of time and in fact sometimes has been dipping into a state of semi-sleep or unconscious.